Michael, welcome to the first episode of The Sound of Tech to Come for 2024. And really good to have you back on. We talked, well, back in 2022, I think, was our first episode of this one, which is pretty crazy to think about, right? But we're here today to talk about 2024. Mm. 2023 is done. It's behind us. So now we want to talk about 2024. We're, going to li we're literally going to talk about what we feel are going to be the big tech innovations you know, flowing on from a really interesting year in 2023. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the state of data platforms, platform engineering, just general technology that we've sunk ourselves in over the past seven to 10 years. And then we're really going to look at um, ourselves. And also, finally, we might even touch on Veeam. How about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's go. Awesome. So yeah, so firstly, we want to just talk generally about 2024. So in your opinion, what do you think the hot technology trend of 2024 is going to be? Is it a tech trend if we don't start with something like AI or LLMs or generative AI, machine learning and all of that stuff? And I know uh, you've been you've been massively into this wave of, of technology, so you're probably best to speak about that. I've got some opinions of where yep. I think we're going to go in 2024, as in what, what we're going to get on our... What, what's available to us on on premises type thing what's how's it going to help me hack away at little side projects and code stuff as a as a non-programmer but anthony you give you're better off to give the, yeah. the overarching theme that we started off in 2023 yeah and we have, you have to you have to start off with ai don't you it would be it'd be a miss remiss if we didn't right a miss as well potentially as well look at that made that work didn't i um so yeah i think flowing on from last year it was all about what chat gbt enabled um at the start of the year even in really the last part of 2022 into 2023 and then it really became something that everyone was hyped about everyone was talking about it, everyone was using it and when i say everyone i really do mean that because i think about conversations i had even with my non-technical friends uh, conversations with my brother who's a teacher they were all kind of using it um, even people at the cricket club that I play at like everyone was talking about this and to be fair I think it was the first time that I could outwardly talk about a piece of technology and have someone actually understand what I was talking about you know because they were familiar with it so from that point of view I think if anything 2023 and 2024 is just going to continue that trend of people being very aware of what generative AI brings to the table um, and what it's going to do for um, just general society, I guess. That's kind of where this whole AI thing's at, at right? It's, it's all about the changing face of how we actually work and are being more efficient as humans in everything that we do. So I think while 2023 was all about us getting used to what it was, 2024 is going to see us knuckle down as to how do we actually use it to be more efficient, but also think about it from the point of view of security, privacy you know, how does it interact with our critical data intellectual property that we've got um inside of work outside of work all that kind of stuff so i think it's just going to be a bit of a level out year for it we still might certainly see some rapid pace of innovation as well in the technology because i think it's just kind of snowballing a few people seem to think michael and i've seen a few tech trends articles already saying that there's not going to be as much of a acceleration in the technology in 2024 but i think there will be still i think this, it's the nature of the game it's kind of self-perpetuating i don't know what you think about that yeah i think uh, to to your point around non-technical friends 
like in the pub having a conversation about about this is is game changing. Like the fact that I've got something to actually speak about versus talking about rugby or football or or something that you talk about in the pub. But I like I've likened it in those conversations to the search engine. Like not just tech tech people are always googling stuff or using your favorite search engine. But your family, your friends, they all know Google, right? They all know that yeah. as the as a search engine. And then before that, we would have probably had something like Yahoo or and there's always been that. But that game changing technology, and I, I don't particularly I can't admit to remembering. I might look old, but I'm probably not that old to when the first internet based search engine came out. But that revolutionized the simplicity of getting around and finding the content that you wanted to find, whether it was a manual or whether it was instructions all of that stuff and i think we're at that same point where we've got that uh that capability as anyone in the world with access to the internet will have the ability to leverage whether it be chat gpt whether it be one of the others from from any any other model from any other search engine provider or any other company yet and i think that um that capability of being able to or anyone has access to this and anyone has access to that api yep. is quite exciting so whilst the technology might like we might not see and you'll have to correct me here anthony but like we might not see new mod like uh, chat gpt 3.5 to 4 to 4.5 if that's the way they're naming yeah like we might, might not see two or three this year but i think what we will see is a lot more of those tools that are pinpointed down to certain work streams so whether that be like i use canva quite a lot for youtube thumbnails and you can add a little bit of magic in there they call it magic in there um but also uh we've had uh github copilot or yep. copilot within uh visual studio code that ultimately gives you a way to give you a bumper or a blueprint of an application that you want to build i know Anthony, you've been hacking around a bit with a with a side project, as have I. Um, and I know we leverage like AI or or ChatGPT gets us gets us much further than we would have two or three Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, so, you know, that's the that's the big thing. I think I was thinking about when you were talking about search engines, and that was a very one way scenario, right? Like it was just like we're putting in a search to get a page or to get a bit of data you know, from a website that we wouldn't have been able to find without the search engine tying it all together and its predictivity and whatnot. Yeah. But what, what the chat GBT and what all of these models are allowing us to do is to do that on steroids, but then also flip that around and make it sort of an output-based scenario as well, where you can then, instead of searching for a web page like a Wikipedia article, which, you know, you then copy and paste into your assignment, now you're getting that done for you um, in that generative AI way, right? You mentioned Canva, you've done it for some amazing, your slide decks have gone to like the next level, right? Because, you know, not that you're not creative, but you can get it so far and then you, you let the AI take over. And then from there produces something which if you want to leave it like that, and this is just speaking broadly around this topic, you can leave it like that, right? But then people might see it as being AI, or it's very easy to pick out. Well, you've just, you've generated that from an AI, you know, LLM or whatever. Um, and then it's up to you whether you take that a step further. And I think that's, that's, yeah. what, that's what everyone has at their ability now is to basically use it as an input output device. Like it's, all, it's almost like 
actually i just thought it's, it's like the world computer sort of thing isn't it like there's a lot of in, in blockchain the concept of, of the world computer was what what ethereum was based off right like having a, a blockchain where applications could spin up inside it and everyone had a had a slice of the pie i actually feel that these large language models is the world computer because it lets you do so much with one input that has access to everything and, and uh, absolutely and i think like we've both I know we've both played and a lot of people in the community have played around with ChatGPT to look at how do we how do we create content? How do we create those blog posts that me and me and Anthony have very much written our fair share of blogs in the in our time? How can we use that? And it goes back to but we can you can tell. You can tell it's not our like it's not our flavor or it uh, so you have to go back in and you have to modify that. So I think yeah. it, I think it's important to note that if you're going to use it for content creation or something like that, it's about putting your spin on it and putting your um, your mark on that. It, but but then, like, I'm excited to see things like Private GPT, Olama, bringing that bringing that LLM locally now and being able to use consumer grade hardware on premises. Like, I have a I have a Nvidia graphics card. It's a couple of years old. It's not a three or a four thousand series, but it will get me so far with with something like Olama or or um uh private gbt that were like an offline option where i'm not going off to the internet it's not using tokens up it's it's all local to me i think that's quite empowering and interesting for the tech enthusiast i don't i don't expect my mum to be downloading Olama in a no. container and downloading her own models and and advancing those i, I thought but, she taught you everything you know <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she's she's a strong part of everything i do um the good and the bad but um yeah but so but i think the ability for you to as anyone like consumer grade going at being able to go to these search engines and ultimately ask them questions and get that feedback or get those images that they want i think that's 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 for the the wider masses of of community i think for us tech enthusiasts i think we can really hopefully see how that progresses all these little tools that we're going to see over the course of i think 2024 will will really enable yeah. and evolve what what we what we can speed up whether that's content creation whether that's writing simple little applications right it's stuff that just help us in our every day like i think today i even posted yeah. a github um project on twitter which was literally just it was an interpreter for csv files and it was just like a command line you install it with um you know with a brew command and literally from there you can feed it a csv file but you can more dynamically interact with it in a way that's better for you than actually just putting it in excel as an example right so yeah. little things like that are examples of technology that just continue to help and make our everyday lives more more um i guess more efficient and that's what this is all about it's what technology innovation is all about i think to your point though about those private gbts and the private models i think we're going to give vmware a bit of kudos later when we switch on to platforms but i think the one thing that vmware did in the middle of last year at their vm world sorry explore i still can't i still yeah. can't change it from VMworld, VMworld forever even with broadcom um it's like okay they, they really took this concept of the private llm because it was working on a bit of fear uncertainty and doubt with regards to okay if you run this in chat gbt open ai 
in BARD or whatever it is, and you're putting your intellectual property into something that's public, a public platform which is shared, multi-tenant, there's a security risk on that, right? So how much do you, do you, do you value that? How much do you value your data? So it ties into what we do at Veeam as well, obviously, from a data protection point of view. But to that point, if companies are going to be delving into this and using the private models with the hardware that they have on-premises or even if they're renting out chunks of cloud hardware, uh, you know, um, bare metal servers, whatever it might be, that's actually really exciting as well because then individually people are getting the benefits of these models on an individual level which enhances their businesses, their own outputs within their organizations. But that's exciting for us as well where we live in the data, data protection landscape because absolutely the data that is sitting there on the private model in that in that data store, wherever it is, needs to be protected. What comes out the other end, it's debatable whether it needs to be protected um, because I've, I made the point in a post earlier last week where I said the data that comes out of it is just normal data. You know, it's not no different to what we protect today because you, you might create a video with it, you might create a bit of content, a web page. So you know, however, you, however you protect that on the flip side, that's what you do. But the data that's being used, especially in those private LLMs, that's actually a huge opportunity for the data protection world. Uh, yeah, I guess to that point, right? Like, yeah, I was absolutely talking about private GPT for my hacking capabilities about being able to hack, hack together applications. But if you think about like our cast and engineering team being able to leverage a private model that they train on our code and we keep it private because we don't want the world knowing what that, that intellectual pop property looks like, how... I guess, I guess it comes down to what's the importance of that model? How important is it? How much time and compute has gone into creating that? I mean, if it's something that can be replayed like a website sitemap.xml, then yeah, okay, that data mod, that vector database means probably nothing. We can, we can get that again very yep. quickly. But if that's a whole model that's taken lots of different streams of data in to, to form that, and it's taken a lot of effort, then maybe it, that vector database, like any other database, is now important to us, and we have to protect that. Which actually is a great segue that we didn't plan on. I was, is I was going to say that, that that's a perfect segue. <laughs> let's 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 forget about AI because you know everyone everyone's talking about it, even though it's important. But let's talk about just general platforms uh, and and how that's going. Cloud adoption, Kubernetes, and 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 databases. Where do you want to start? Like, do you want to start with the state so of, of, I think of Kubernetes, maybe? Or do you want to start with databases? Go for it. Yeah, because because we're seeing like gone are the days. It's like it's not your it's not your nan's uh, database anymore. Where I remember coming into the IT world, you have a couple of options, right? We had Oracle, or let's say Spiteri. You had a couple of options when it was from a database point of view. You either went, we're going to go full open source, we're going to go with Postgres, My MySQL, maybe. Or we're going to pay Postgres wasn't even around when I started. Like it was, it was MySQL and MSSQL really, and Oracle. That was like the there three. And Oracle, exactly that. And now, if we look at the cloud native landscape, what we have available to us both in the cloud and inside of Kubernetes, and wider in the cloud native ecosystem, it's hard to understand how many different variants of not only SQL but also NoSQL things like yep. MongoDB and document document databases. And I think. Yeah. 2024 is going to be really interesting around all of these different databases and data services that we see out there and not just particularly with Kubernetes although we are seeing that that happen quite a bit but yeah there's a there's a huge amount of like the database chase around new companies like SurrealDB um I mean Postgres has a vector 
capability yep, attached that. to it as well. Yep. <laughs> I read an article. Get get this. I don't know how old how old this is, but one of the things that we've just started supporting in Veeam is DB2, IBM DB2. Yep. Uh, uh, but obviously, a lot of enterprise customers still using it. But I've actually seen a a supported container image from IBM of DB2 right, running that container image inside of Kubernetes. And so you've got such a vast amount of differing database types and also different database options. And, and yeah, they're all trying to it's crazy. run this at the same way. Because I, I remember touching, you know, Cassandra when it first came out because um, we, we had to because um, the, the wires... Uh, heads at VMware thought that it was a great way to do the stats for vCloud Director back in the day. So it's like, all right, you have to learn Cassandra. And it was a completely different way of thinking about a database because st straight away it was multi-nodes. It was, it was basically, you know, zero failure in, 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 in theory. Um, and then Hadoop was out and VMware to a certain extent, again, from a, from a platform and system engineering point of view, they kind of got people understanding, well, there are these different databases that are out there. Because it was very few people that were working specifically on those sorts of databases. But now, obviously, like you said, there's an explosion of databases, companies, um, open source companies that are forking off projects and building on their own and creating extensions, like you said, about the vector database and Postgres and how do we work, again, bringing back AI into it? How do we bring AI into these databases to make them AI friendly so that we can, we can leverage them there, which is the flavor of the day. But I really interesting comment which i always go back to which uh, actually naraj tolia from xcaston um you know said to me on a podcast that i had with him he said the developers of today don't think of storage as a san or a hard drive they think of it as a database or even yeah. ex extracting that even more maybe even just a, a table or <laughs> you know what i mean like it actually yeah. is abstracted that far now I, th I think actually to that i mean i come from a storage background I've worked with databases extensively for a while and i would actually argue that it's not it's not new, the new cloud native developers that are just seeing storage that way yeah. i actually believe from the virtualization world that that you know and love anthony as well in that but there's not many people that know that oh we've got a vmfs data store they or a vmdk where everything lives on the vmfs yes. data store it's still yeah. just the database oh i've got a d drive oh and that's where i'm going to store everything maybe that's the the abstraction and i don't think that changes when you get into containers no. and serverless it's a different way of, different way of, different way of thinking about it isn't it so that, that's what's interesting so so where do you say containers and kubernetes like Obviously, this has been something and you've been deep into it for a while. So how did you see contain, um, containers and Kubernetes evolve in 2023 quickly? And, and where do you think it's shifting to and going to be in 2024? Because I think from my perspective, what I saw was an, a kind of normalization of it. it. The hype around it has definitely subsided. Um, there's different things there. Well, you, know, you can touch on WebAssembly and WASM and, and how that's kind of playing in the picture now. That was kind of that rose quite significantly in 2023. But I kind yeah. of saw it as being, okay, Kubernetes is with us, but we don't need to be as hype-ish about it anymore because to the point before, like the databases have become a standard bit of storage, Kubernetes and the platform and the containerization of that is just another way to run an application effectively, right? So we've kind of got over the hype. Yeah, which, which I think is actually a, 
a, an interesting point around like crossing the chasm and, and understanding all right now we're in the adoption phase people are actually doing this they're not just talking about it on social media um i think to go back a, a step like one of the first things that i dived into when i like entered this world was when we look at physical virtual cloud and cloud native meaning kubernetes none of them are going away i remember saying that three years ago and I'm, i stand by that the physical yep. servers that we have in our data centers are physical for a reason they can't be virtualized for whatever reason that may be we virtualized what we could and that's great and then maybe we did have that evolution or move to the cloud and then we refactored into cloud-based services such as PaaS and SaaS and all of that good stuff. Or maybe we had our own application, we refactored, re-architected that into a cloud-native model. But none of them have gone away. Like, that is fact. The interesting bit that I've been seeing, and I think we started to see this at KubeCon, maybe we started to see it at KubeCon Amsterdam in 2023, but more so in Chicago, which is the back end. And I think we'll continue to see this evolution. So Kubernetes container orchestration engine already beat away like things like Docker Swarm, HashiCorp Nomad, uh, Mesos. If you want to go back a little bit further, yep. And that's a container. That was container orchestration. What we're seeing now, though, is how can Kubernetes, as a control plane, a potentially a cloud control plane, now start to look after other yep. areas, whether it be virtual machines. There's a great project out there called KubeVert, OpenShift virtualization, for example. Harvester are using it as well to run virtual machines alongside their containerization uh, orchestration engine or containers within their within their Kubernetes cluster. Yeah. And I it find becomes that, like a, it becomes like, it becomes a definition, right? So it becomes a way to define the. I guess that if you think about the VMX file of a virtual machine that we had, right? Yeah. Everything that's in there, now you're just basically declaring all that within a, a YAML file or whatever it is and pumping it through the the Kubernetes engine to deploy and manage it and scale it and deal with it in that way. I think, I think again, tipping our hat, we've done a bit of this today already to VMware and what they did with Tanzu initially as 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 much controversy as Tanju sort of brings up and who knows the future there for it. It, it, it was really the first implementation that I ever worked on where the supervisor cluster was a Kubernetes cluster controlling the Kubernetes clusters. So, yeah. and, and in that, they were able to show that example of Kubevert, um, which is the more sort of adopted one in that open source sort of world now, they were able to show, a, I'm pretty sure it was in a prototype and it might actually be built into that the platform now where you can actually declare VMs through Tanzu as well, right? So, so yeah, it's their own, it's called VM service and it's VM their service. own flavor of it. And like if I was gonna, if I was gonna put my bet on where virtualization within Kubernetes was gonna win, I'd probably, you, you can't be far away from VMware given what they've done over the last 20 years. Um, I think it's great what OpenShift, what Red Hat have done with OpenShift, uh, OpenShift clusters and container orchestration and OpenShift virtualization and what Suzy are doing from a harvester and, and K3S perspective with Kubert. Yep. But VMware just have that, have that knowledge of virtualization. Like there is still no, in my opinion, like I've, I've played around with KVM quite a bit and I know you. I know you have as well, Anthony. I've played around with, I've tried to look at this Proxmox stuff. Proxmox looks yep. great for a home lab. 
but you've got to put your enterprise or your even your commercial hat on. If you're looking after that on a daily basis, what am I missing? And one of the big things I think is around skill set. We've spent yeah. a long time honing in that skills around VMware technologies. Yeah, I th actually, what's interesting is I just had a thought back to the, the early days when I was looking at the first um, uh, object storage clusters, right? And we were looking, what what do we install? What do we what do we leverage here to install object storage? And the thing was, oh, let's look at Ceph because Ceph's pretty good. It's open source. It works. But the problem was with Ceph is that when it broke, it broke hard. And the knowledge yeah. of how to un, un, to fix it, I was going to say something else, un whatever, but how how to fix it. Um, what meant that you had to potentially hire someone who had the specific skill set and there was cost involved in that. And I, I wonder whether we're at that point with those virtualization technologies that are not VMware. Um, maybe we are, maybe we're not. But I, I just wonder whether at some point, yeah, VMware is going to do well because it owns a lot of the market. But at what point will it tip over? Because I think certain happenings that we're seeing today are kind of forcing people to look and when people are forced to look at solutions, then you know, they find a way, right? So that's, that's quite an interesting thing to ponder in 2024. When we're here a year, when we're talking about 2024 at the end of the year and looking at 2025, where has VMware ended the year, given all of the, the, the sort of bad waters that they seem to be going through, which I actually believe is actually, um, we're going down a tang tangent here, <laughs> but I kind of feel like there's a lot of FUD that's been thrown around this whole Broadcom it's like people want it to fail. I feel that's that's a, that's 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 a underlying narrative to this because our uh, Broadcom did it to semantics. That's going to do it to VMware, right? And it, it might still end up that way, but I feel like the narrative and the fud is being thrown around because people just expect it. But why 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 can't it work? And why can't they build on the great success that that company has done over the past uh -huh. twenty plus years from a technology point of view? Hundred percent. 100% why can't like, and VMware do some incredible things with cloud native as well if you look at their open source projects that they have available out there they're, they're contributing like yeah. a lot to the, like, I don't you if you're in the cloud native ecosystem you don't want VMware to go away they're yeah. literally in in everything like they're a big proponent of everything that's happening in that in that ecosystem today and I think yeah what like we yeah, I, th I think skills are going to be a huge thing when it comes to 2024. And that continued learning that we always talk about is that, or reimagining your skill set, because ultimately you don't lose what you'd know. Like I, I used to work daily on like NetApp clusters. I used to, used to work a lot of, like daily on virtualization VMware and deploying that. But now I haven't lost that. I still know how to do all of that. In fact, we've made things simpler to be able to do that. Yep. But you don't lose that skill set. You just keep adding on. Um, Adapt, adapting, activity. evolving it. Yeah, adapting, evolving to it. Like um, I think made the comment in our in our pre chat where you know the the greatest thing about being a VMware sort of virtualization expert, as as you know a lot of people who are listening to this are or have been, and then for the salespeople listening and people that are in in the business side of, of any company, you know when you're leveraging people with that skill set, you can think of them as a generalist because you had to know everything all of a sudden like that's where i that's why i got really good at, at, at 
deep end. I mean, I was always okay at Linux, but having to dive into that ESX command line to do a lot of low-level stuff on, on the command line is how I got really proficient at that, right? So I became pretty good there. And then I had to sort of get better at my networking skills because our oh, networking was part of it and storage was part of it. And so I think being a, the generalist and what we're seeing with a lot of the guys that we've kind of grown up with and the new people coming through is that you base yourself on the fundamentals and then every every year you just look to slowly build up on that, you know, if you've got the desire to, right? And whether it might be looking into Kubernetes, WASM, databases, public cloud, it's all kind of the same skill set. You just got to slightly tweak your learning style. And you, you've done you've done that great and you've you've really shown that with I'm going to say oh, we have it's what we're nearly 30 minutes in we haven't talked about 90 days yet but we we just did it so with the 90 days of devops and what you're doing this year um you know with the with the videos coming through already rocking through right um that's a good way of people learning and teaching new skills as well yeah and I think I think we're seeing that um consolidation like the people that were like the the vSphere admins are being forced to learn a bit more about devops not Maybe they're not being called DevOps engineers and getting a little pay rise like they did five years ago, but maybe DevOps is actually, and I've said this before as well, is that the evolution of the vSphere admin, the systems administrator has to incorporate DevOps principles and practices into getting stuff done, whether that's using Terraform to deploy uh, your virtual machines and your workloads. That's an element of, of DevOps, right? We joked about it. Anthony, like a couple of years we, ago, we but to, ultimately, like, and I've still it. got the beard to show it. But, but yeah, I, I, th I think, um, I think the world, the the convergence of that, and I think this year will be a big year as well. For we hear the term platform engineering quite a lot. And I just quickly want to touch on yeah, platform engineering. vSphere is a platform. OpenShift virtualization, Kubernetes, cloud, AWS, blah blah blah. They're all platforms. And where there's a platform, there's going to be some data somewhere. I'm not going to get into the stateful, stateless argument around Kubernetes because ultimately that application is going to have some state somewhere. And that might be living outside in a RDS instance. It might be living on a VM. But ultimately, you might run some in Kubernetes. You might run some virtualization. We need to protect that data. If the data is important, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to try and convince you to back up stuff that you don't care about like that's pointless but we should be protecting that important important yeah. stuff and which it, i i love that it's become platform engineering as well i love that term i actually feel at peace with it i don't feel like it overstates what it actually is i always had a bit of a problem with devops like like you know in terms we used because we used to joke about it and obviously i've got a beard now but it's 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 a weird one but it is what it is um but i think to that point platform engineering encompasses what people are doing much better right let the devs be devs and do their thing right but then if you're in that platform engineering perspective it's just it's just like you say it's understanding that there are certain components that make up um, the running of an application which runs a business and provides a service and that's kind of what it is so understanding the bells and whistles you can go so deep so far it's up to you I think that's part of the learning of a platform engineer moving forward is how deep do you go? It's up to you. Um, but the, all the resources are out there, that's for sure. Hey, Michael, we've only got seven minutes left. Let's, so we're on a Veeam podcast, right? We've joked about it and we, we better talk about the company, right? <laughs> about Veeam. <laughs> um, but obviously, we just came off a very strong 2023 
Uh, we had two releases, which was incredible. Uh, we haven't had, like, and there were two major releases, 12 and 12.1. 12.1 was a very security-focused release, like we know, with a few uh, malware detection features in there, functionality, bit talking about cybersecurity. But we had a little touch of AI in there as well, with a chatbot, because we had to, and it was cool, and it kind of does its thing. Um, but where do, where do you see us going in 2024? We're just about to enter a new cycle of development for the next products which is really exciting we obviously can't talk about it we actually don't know really just yet what's coming just to, just to put it out there to everybody right we know a little bit about it, a little bit um but it's exciting because i think what we saw last year we can kind of put a put a, put a pin in and now we get to talk about the what like where are we taking veeam in 2024 it's kind of exciting right yeah, well, yeah, definitely. And I think the industry leads us as to where we go, right? Where where our customers are is where we'll where we'll meet them and, and progress on that. And I think it comes down to the platforms. Physical, virtual, cloud, cloud native, SaaS, SaaS both protecting SaaS workloads, but also yep. providing a SaaS option, a Veeam cloud, if you will. Like how how do we enable our customers that need and want to send their data into 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 a Veeam backed cloud like with Microsoft 365. I think there's an evolution of what we've already got on the truck and how we enhance yep. that. I think security will be a very top of mind. Um, but I think uh, fundamentally, and you won't catch me talk. I'll talk about the security to a degree, but really it's about features and it's about the functionality and the features that enable us to provide a better solution for the overall platform engineering team, if you will. So Absolutely. That's kind of... Yeah. One of the things that I, I, I talked about last year and I'll continue to talk about this year when, when, when we're out doing our thing and when we're talking to customers and prospective customers, roundtables, whatever it is, is that Veeam's all about the protection of that data ultimately and making sure that you can recover from a disaster when it happens it's, it's, that's the fundamentals of backup since day, yeah. day dot right so to a certain extent whether we're looking at the modern threats of of uh of ransomware um you know social engineered exploits just exploits through misconfiguration of apis whatever it might be we just have to be condescend of when we talk to our customers and for everyone else, else that look, that's listening here if you're a veeam employee talking to customers or if you're a customer of ours the end goal is about the business outcome, which is how do you make sure your business keeps on running if something goes wrong? Like that's ultimately why we exist as a company, why the whole industry exists, right? It's to make sure that in case something hits the fan, you've got the confidence to recover with. And I, I'm just excited that we're evolving in such a way that we've become more than a critical component of any business strategy. Um, CISOs have come into play, yes, but you know there's still there's still a place for the traditional CIO, the CTO, to think about from a visionary perspective, from a strategic perspective, how they incorporate backup into their um, overall plan for technology, and then the CISO as well as part of that team, which focuses on security, is important as well, right? So. Like you, you won't hear me talk about security from 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 that perspective because we've got great ecosystem partners that we play with. Um, but I love that we're deep in the middle of that with the data. Yeah, I think uh, fundamentally, I've been at Veeam for nine years. At the end of March, um, and yeah, fundamentally, it's the insurance policy. How do we back up, recover that data when bad things, when failure scenarios happen? But what what has always interested me about Veeam is the mobility story, but how can I take 
a virtual machine from one platform and get it into another platform and potentially not necessarily a migration because that doesn't that's that might be real world but actually i just want to leverage a service in that other platform that gives me some insight into that data which leads me on to the next bit that i'm excited about is about leveraging that data i spoke about this probably three plus years ago easily about leveraging data using data labs how can we yeah. put that data to work i think even more so if you think about how we how much data being protects across the world all our all of our customers all of that data across all of the daily backups imagine being able to gain some insight for that maybe build a model from it and then get, glean information from it now i'm not talking about that's not coming like that's not a no 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 but, but, but i was going to say to loop it back right <laughs> to, to where we can see ourselves in in 12 months and through 2024 i believe that with the models that are out there and Veeam, what we've got, even the features and functionality in 12.1 today, that can actually be done today, right? Some people have got to think outside the square. I mean, I've done a little bit of playing with um, the private GBT in, in OpenAI's chat GBT. I've connected it to the API of the Veeam backup replication server and the console server and got it to interact with it through an API. And then, you know, if you think about that and what you can start to do with those, with the tools that are out there, with the data that we protect, I think it's a really exciting year for us. So, hey, Michael, this is really good. I think we could have talked for a, a lot longer, right? But we're coming Easy. up to the, to the end, of, end of the show. Um, it's been a great conversation. I, I look forward to looking back at this at the end of this year and seeing how on the ball we were, especially with the VMware stuff, the AI stuff, the platform stuff, and then finally, you know, what VM's going to be doing um, with that data. So, Michael, thank you for being on The Sound of Tech to Come, the first one for 2024, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.